Welcome to The Lead from New Lines Magazine. I'm Kwango Diwewe, and this is a podcast where we delve into the biggest ideas, events, and personalities from around the world. Africa's most populous country and largest economy, Nigeria, goes to the polls tomorrow on February the 25th to elect its president, vice president, members of the Senate, and House of Representatives. This election is Africa's first in 2023 and has been described as the most consequential election this year. Nigeria is Africa's most populous nation and its largest economy. And when Nigeria sneezes, the rest of the continent catches a cold. With me today is Obi Ezekweleseli, who is the former vice president of the World Bank Africa region. She's the senior economic advisor of the Africa Economic Development Policy Initiative and one of the co-founders and pioneer directors of Transparency International. She was recognized as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in 2015. She was also decorated with the National Award of Command of the Order of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. Ma'am, thank you very much for joining us on The Lead. Thank you very much. And it's as a question. Thank you. So now this election has been described as Nigeria's most crucial and defining moment. It's attracted so much attention around the world and it's completely unpredictable. What has sparked this anticipation? I think it's the fact that um, we have um, had elections since 1999 ushering in the fourth republic for us because as uh, those who follow nigeria's history uh will remember uh we had many uh, aberrant uh adventure of uh, the military into our democracy after we became independent in 1960 and so we had much more militarization than quite a lot of the other countries on the continent and so when finally in 1999 we went back to democracy uh, what we've seen since then has been a, a very strong uh, uh, focus on elections. Uh, we haven't had any kind of military misadventurism since then. Uh, and that has been the good side of what we have experienced. On the downside, however, is that uh, elections have not materialized into uh, the, 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 the development for the citizens. And uh, a lot of this has been because of the nature of the politics that we have seen since 1999. It has been politics of uh, an established order of politicians who have uh, had a way of uh, putting their own personal and private narrow interests above that of the collective. And so suddenly we see that the citizens are tired of this and there is much more uh, interest of the citizens in uh, launching a new trajectory for our democracy. Well, it's interesting that you say that because um, politics has largely been dominated more by personalities um, in Nigeria, not really party ideologies. I mean, we've seen some politicians move from one party to another, and I can give some examples of um, the PDP's presidential hopeful, Atiku Abubakar. He contested for primaries in the APC in 2015. We've seen um, also one of the presidential candidates or hopefuls from the Labour Party, Peter Obi. He was uh, once the vice presidential candidate and Atiku's running mate on a PDP ticket in 2019. 
Obi Oskov, of course, went on to be elected governor of Anambra on the Old Progressive Grand Alliance in 2010. So just explain to us, why isn't this shifting of camps a big deal for the electorate and why is it not really a big deal for the country? Well, I, I suppose that, you know, the electorate, uh, you know, uh, for many uh, years since 1999, in the uh, four or five uh, um, elections that we, we have thus far had, um, never really bothered that much about our politics. Uh, they always felt, the majority felt that their votes wouldn't count. Uh, there was low confidence in electoral integrity. And so a lot of people within the middle class of Nigeria paid no attention to uh, elections. Uh, and so political parties, the, uh, you know, the epicenter of what happens in uh, the electoral process, were therefore not of any interest uh, amongst uh, the electorate, except, of course, you know, the low-income uh, 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 part of the electorate, who for uh, them, elections were simply just a day to transact uh, with uh, very wily politicians who were prepared uh, to buy up our democracy. And so you often therefore found that any conversations as to even those who were being who were being put forward as candidates of parties did not really uh, attract anybody's attention because they were not planning to go out to vote for them, at least within the majority of the middle class. And, and suddenly uh, what we find is that. Uh, the, the, the level of political literacy that has uh, happened over time, uh, you know, complemented by you know, the basic experiences of people in understanding that uh, the less attention that citizens pay to democracy, the more that they should be ready to take any consequences of their absence uh, from a process that is actually defined uh, by, by the level of participation of the demand side of governance. And so uh, to that extent, you now begin to see uh, a less emphasis on, uh, on not participating. Uh, in the past, it was always, you know, people actually boasted that they didn't waste their time to go and vote uh, because uh, they are all the same. That was the basic uh, uh, premise on which people didn't waste their times with our democracy. And it's not just in Africa. It's uh, actually across the continent that the middle class just look at the democracy and say, no, this doesn't reflect what I would like to be part of. And so they opt out of it completely, leaving the low income class and the, and the political uh, rascals uh, to carry on with uh, a, a, a hijacked democracy. That is changing, and it's a good thing. Um, so when you say that the people were not, you know, it didn't matter to the people that uh, there, there was always this migratory dance uh, of the political class. The political class didn't matter to the citizens. That's really the truth. They didn't expect, they had come to a place of low expectation, or in fact, no, zero expectation of them. But now people are realizing that uh, you, you citizens have to, occupy their own office. And the citizen's office is what I call the office of the citizen. And that the citizen uh, determines what happens in democracy. More of that has uh, percolated uh, in society. And so there's much more interest. Uh, but that interest is coming not by way, in fact, of the political party, although two of the dominant political parties are, you know, the, um, they are the, what do you call them? The, the, um, 
the symbols of uh, a failed governance. And so people just don't want, people who want a better society, who want a decent Nigeria, are not in fact interested in uh, uh, contemplating a vote for those two parties. They are dominant parties. That is where you find most of the politicians who have crisscrossed carpets so many times you hardly by afternoon or evening time know which party they belong to. Uh, so people are not paying that much attention to them. I, I mean, as in people who truly, in fact, are engaging democracy more, more, more profoundly at this time. However, uh, what people are doing is they are looking at the quality of the candidates that uh, that have been put forward. And true to type, those two uh, dominant political parties have put as their candidates for presidency uh, two, two people that uh, don't resonate uh, with, uh, with the culture of good governance that citizens want to see Nigeria move towards. And so even though Obi is a part of the, uh, the PDP of the, of in the past, uh, the fact that his record shows a relative uh, you know, degree of, uh, of having done some things around uh, better governance, he has resonated with uh, the electorate. And so they are paying attention to a little known party of uh, that that is called Labour Party in the past. Just in eight months, Labour Party suddenly, you know, has a lot of mention within our democracy, uh, simply because uh, Ubi that the people could at least uh, relate to uh, uh, joined that party. So make make of that what you will. Okay. So now one of the key debates um, in the run-up to the election has been this unwritten rule of rotating the presidency. This um, done on regional, ethnic, and religious uh, grounds. It's an unwritten rule, as I've just said. And we've seen in each um, electoral cycle, parties rotate their candidates um, between the North and South, between the Christians and Muslim divides. So now in this election, and you've talked about the two dominant parties, uh, People's Democratic Party, the PDP, and the All Progressive Congress. This time around, they've abandoned um, these policies, and both parties nominated a Muslim candidate for the presidency. While with the ACP, they have a double Muslim ticket with the vice being president, and PDP's vice is a Christian. Now, just explain to us about this unwritten rule and this zoning um, issue in Nigeria. Where does it come from? It, it's not it's not unusual it's not a Nigerian thing even in a place called Switzerland in federal structures in federal systems there is always this approach where for inclusivity for inclusion they sometimes have either a written or an unwritten rule for ensuring that no part of any of the of their country of their nation feels abandoned feels not to be part of the process of uh, governance and so it is not unusual at all it's not a nigerian thing so that's that is an important point for us to first establish so when you say where did that come from i want to immediately do a repost on you and say don't make it sound like it is an exceptionalism for Nigeria. It isn't. Uh, the second thing to say on that is that um, when the parties have those kinds of uh, um, co co convention of, of saying that we want all parts of, of the Nigerian uh, federation, all parts of the Nigerian multilingual, multi-ethnic, multi-religious society to feel that they have a stake in the nation, mm. uh, it 
also as part of, uh, you know, us having been a country that's been so polarized often by virtue of uh, all of these uh, divides. And so in order to ensure that we're continuing uh, to move in that, in that sense of uh, one people, one nation, uh, these parties uh, chose to uh, to have this kind of a system of rotatory, uh, rotational uh, allocation of uh, responsibilities, whether as party leaders or as candidates. And so it, it was working uh, pretty fine. I served in the government of uh, uh, the PDP under President Obasanjo, and I remember how they used to pay so much attention to this balancing, uh, the balancing on the religious side, on the uh, zonal side, uh, that, that in the, on the regional side, on the uh, language side. They, they took all kinds of variables into consideration. And in many ways, it did help keep parties uh, in a national frame that was in, that was necessary, and the more national a party was in, in, in its orientation, the more interest it garnered from the rest of uh, the of the society. Um, and so PDP was uh, quite dominant at that time because uh, it paid attention to those uh, to, to that convention. Now that being said, uh, what what was not normally uh, an important part of that conversation is that you must not compromise competence on the altar of inclusion. You can uh, achieve both objectives. You can you can ensure that uh, competent people, uh, capable people, ethical people are the ones that emerge as your candidates, and yet you have respected uh, the rotation so that uh, no exclusion, no sense of exclusion is felt, or no compromise of uh, capacity to govern is, uh, uh, is, uh, is made. Um, now, the PDP failed in that phenomenally in this, in this election. Uh, when they had their primaries, everybody was shocked that uh, an article I was, uh, you know, determined to go through and, and be the presidential candidate at a time when the the, the 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 entire country was expecting that after eight years of a of a, of a northerner being in office, that a southerner would be in office. So PDP uh, ran foul of its own of its own uh, of its own con con convention and its in fact its own constitution, a party constitution, and then. Um, the APC even worsened the stakes because APC not only uh, fielded a candidate who is from the Southwest, uh, having a con con uh, uh, in, in utter disregard for the fact that uh, the a Southwesterner has been the uh, vice president for the eight years of a Buhari presidency, they not only did that foul, they also basically uh, 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 I'm looking for the right English word to use, uh, but they, they basically uh, thumped, they basically gave an absolute, con okay, I think that I found the word. They became contemptuous of, uh, of the Christian population by, by putting, fielding to Muslim candidates on, on their ticket. Uh, at a time when religious polarization has been so bad in the country, even when we were, where, where we were less polarized, 
I know no parties were very careful not to field two Muslim tickets. There was a time when we 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 actually had two Muslim uh, two Muslim candidates on a party or two Muslim uh, 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 candidates on a party. Uh, this was when uh, Abiola and King Gibe, both Muslims, but this was immediately following uh, the end of uh, military rule in 1993. Although that government eventually that election was annulled, but it was a candidate. It was a ticket that had two Muslims and Nigerians couldn't care and voted, uh, you know, overwhelmingly for them. So they were the ones that won that election, although Abiola went on to pay for that election with his life after the, it was annulled and he was insistent on reclaiming his mandate. Uh, but after uh, we have seen the, the polarization, the deterioration of uh, religious uh, harmony in our society, there has been a very strong interest in avoiding having two Muslims on a ticket. So that was why uh, Buhari refused to run with this current uh, uh, presidential candidate of their party. That is uh, Bola Tinubu. He refused to run with him as his vice presidential uh, you know, uh, 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 candidate because of Muslims, Muslim sensibilities, sensitivities rather. And now they have they have breached it in this this case. So Nigerians who who are uh, Christians feel like uh, this is a this is a disregard of another fifty percent of the population. Mm -hmm. Why would the APC do that in 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 an environment where uh, Christians have a lot that they have complained about over the last eight years of uh, President Buhari's uh, presidency? So that's what you know, these parties are up against. There are people who decidedly have said they will not vote them, not because they, you know, uh, they really are into this religious matter, but that they are into the idea of being sensitive to uh, the issues that matter to your citizens. If your citizens feel like it's important for inclusion, that you should have a candidate who is Muslim and a candidate who is Christian on your ticket, then you should be able to be sensitive to that and not offend their sensibilities. If your can, if your population feel like you know a northerner has been in office for so long, it is really time for a southeasterner, not just a southerner, mm -hmm. but a southeasterner to get an opportunity in 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 all competence and capacity and of course ethics. To run for office, then why field a northerner? That it is actually a, a spiteful uh, attitude towards uh, the people from the southeast. So that's what these parties, that's another burden that they carry into the elections. Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, going forward, do you think these two dominant parties will be hit badly for ignoring this? I think it is going to matter to a significant uh, segment of the population, uh, the voting population. Uh, we would see how it comes out after the elections. But, you know, I don't, the two dominant parties have never before felt as, uh, as vulnerable as they feel today. And that's because there are many things, they, they, the failure, the, the pattern of failure that people have seen of the two dominant parties in the last at least uh, uh, 16 years uh, really point to the fact that citizens are tired of simply uh, repeating and rinsing electoral cycles. 
So they want elections that lead to governance, not just governance, but good governance and the benefits of having a democratic uh, uh, processes. So accountability, economic growth, human capital development, infrastructure uh, to, to support uh, uh, their, their needs as citizens, as well as businesses, a better environment for doing business, just the basics that you'd expect of any uh, decent society uh, properly governed. That's, people are needing that. So there's a strong appetite for someone who can offer that, different from the usual uh, uh, established political order. Uh, and then there is the vulnerability that comes to them from the younger people who are tired of seeing the same old, same, same people running for office. So they want a break from the old. They want a new era of their democracy. So the young are really defining uh, the moment in this uh, uh, current run of our of our democracy. Uh, another thing is that people are, are, are just tired of uh, uh, parties that are insensitive to uh, the to the to the uh, uh, to the to the opinion to the to the to the de demands of citizens. So when they look at these parties, they feel like these parties are, are, have become so entrenched. They feel that they can run roughshod over the electorate. And the electorate seems to, uh, they seem to be saying we've come of age and we're not going to uh, just sit like, uh, like uh, lame dogs and uh, allow this again. So the vulnerability that they feel today is worse than anything they felt in the past. And, 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 and we, show, we, we see that demonstrated. The evidence of that is in having a third party that has such name recognition and such traction than, than we have ever seen in our elections. Okay, so um, yes, it's interesting. You did talk uh, briefly just now about the, the youth and um, their role in this election. We've seen that they've become really revitalized, um, especially coming out of the NSARS um, movement where they led protests against the special anti-robbery squad that was known for its brutality and of course, um, accusations of extrajudicial killings and assaults. The youth seem to be re-energized in Nigeria. Just tell us how crucial is this for the polls? This is very important for the polls because I mean, some 44% of the electorate uh, are this uh, segment of uh, the population demographic that you talked about. So they are young people. Uh, young people loosely defined as those under the age of 40. Um, so uh, from voting age of 18 to 40, uh, you know, if you have some 44 percent and they have they are the ones that dominantly uh, make up uh, the new the new registered voters in the in this round of our election. So you can see that that is statistically significant uh, when you add to them uh, women who are much more vibrant uh, in this election and uh, uh, determined to who are determined to uh, to see uh, a, a different a different uh, 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 delivery, a better delivery of governance uh, for for the sake of uh, uh, the the well-being of families. Then you know clearly that um, we we are up for something that could, uh, at the minimum, be a a a, a, run, a, a, a runoff. We, I, I believe that uh, there would be no clear winners in the first round. That's what I think. You know, if all things go according to the electoral, the level of electoral integrity that I expect from uh, uh, INEC, 
an independent electoral commission, then I don't think that there would be a a a a a, a, a definite winner in the first round of the election. Okay, now moving on um, in terms of voter turnout um, in 2019, there was about 34 percent. Um, mm -hmm. turnout that was the percentage then and from let's say around 2003 this has been dropping the number of voters turning out as much as it's difficult to predict um you're there on the ground what's the feeling on the ground this time around will nigerians come out in full force i think nigerians want to come out in full force as uh, something uh, a a factor that would determine that uh would also be the level of security that is assured and um, I think to that extent, we've, we've been seeing a lot of military movement around the country, uh, perhaps to make sure that uh, those who are prone to uh, using violence as a means of voter suppression would not uh, succeed. Uh, so if security is assured, I, I am pretty sure that we're going to get uh, many, not, 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 you know, many uh, degrees of, uh, of increase in the, in the, um, in the voter turnout. At 34%, we, we woefully compare to an average of 60% uh, uh, globally, I believe. Uh, and so, uh, I, I mean, I remember that at the advent of our democracy in 1999, uh, there was, uh, uh, you know, there, there was this sense of, uh, of, 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 of uh, uh, anticipation. And so I think we, we were beyond the uh, 47 or no, almost 52 percent mark. And then it began to dwindle after uh, uh, the about uh, three rounds of elections. Uh, we now began to go below uh, 40 percent uh, to the point of uh, being 34 percent in the last one. So mm -hmm. people came to a place where they said it really doesn't matter whether I vote or not. And well, it is a different conversation that we see going on in the country where citizens are saying, my vote will make all the difference. And so the, the priciest thing that uh, people have in their possession today is their PVCs, that is the permanent voter's card. And people uh, take the delight in uh, publishing it and saying, I have stored it away. It is the most uh, important treasure that I want to use on the, um, on the 25th of, uh, of February. So mm -hmm. we will see. We'll yeah. see. Yes, you've just said people are actually saying my vote will make a difference. Now there's another catchphrase in Nigeria doing its rounds. That is vote your conscience. Um, what exactly does this mean? Well, I suppose that what people are saying is, you know, don't don't be don't be carried away by a a whole lot of other factors that that uh, the politicians uh, willfully uh, try to use in manipulating the electorate. Uh, the uh, the, the and and, and the, sometimes it's uh, it's about uh, money. They 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 pay off for for people's vote, and then people vote against themselves. You know, citizens who should care about uh, the capacity or the ethics or, or the competence of uh, a candidate, they stop caring just because you know on a rational mode basis where they need to survive for a day, and on the day of election, it's just an a day. It's not, a, they are not thinking of it as a, a decision or a choice that, that has a four-year uh, consequence or a benefit of any kind. So they sell their votes. Uh, and, and so people say to them now, you know, 
don't 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 go and be persuaded by uh, by this full fieldy looker that uh, these uh, politicians will give to you, and then you vote against your conscience. If you know that a candidate will not deliver uh, governance that is uh, beneficial to you and your family, uh, to you and your children, uh, to your future, why should you vote for them? Vote what your conscience tells you is the right thing to do. And also, uh, when people, are, uh, some of the politicians have made this a very, a, a terrible uh, election around uh, uh, around uh, uh, ethnic groups. So there's an ethnicization of uh, people's choices. They have used all kinds of uh, rhetorics of, uh, of of ethnocentrism uh, to 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 project their their own suitability for 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 votes uh, from people of uh, their own regions. Uh, so it, it's been a, a, a real shame to see that kind of a descent to, uh, to very primordial, uh, you know, conversing for vote. Okay. Yes, you have talked um, about vote buying and previous elections have been marred by these allegations. This election in 2023, what's it been like in terms of uh, vote buying? How can I tell? I do I only believe in uh, evidence. I, I, I am not a vote buyer, neither am I a vote seller. So, and uh, we haven't seen anything in the public sphere that okay. provides on it. So it's a wrong question to ask at this time. But there's the cash fiasco that's um, currently going on ahead of the elections. Um, just to give some background, it was brought about um, when the Central Bank of Nigeria announced that the country will move to cashless economy and that the current Naira notes will no longer be valid in days close to the elections. So this brought about a serious uh, cash shortage and it forced the president to direct the central bank to reissue the old notes. Now, one school of thought says this initial move was uh, just to deal with targeting politicians to deter them from vote buying. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, certainly, I mean, uh, one of the things that the central bank actually put out, it did say that, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the the policy was going to help also with uh, curtailing uh, uh, the activities of politicians at a time like this. Uh, well, that should be the least uh, uh, um, of uh, a central bank's monetary uh, process, right, monetary objectives. But, you know, they be that as it may, it turns out that, uh, uh, you know, instead of using the institutions of the state that are, exist to uh, uh, investigate, uh, determine, uh, uh, to investigate, identify and uh, prosecute criminals, well, we have ended up uh, the monetary policy being used to, to do that. Frankly speaking, there are quite a number of our citizens that, uh, that, are, that are okay with it because they, you know, for them, it is really, they are really tired of uh, their democracy being hijacked uh, through, you know, uh, what do you call it, lo looted resources by politicians. Uh, most of our politicians have not worked hard. They have not done any form of uh, a credible investment uh, or, or engaged in any productivity to uh, to um, to to actually um, um, justify the kind of wealth that they have. So they have stolen. Uh, from uh, government uh, uh, treasury, and then they use it 
to purchase the democracy. That particular aspect of our democracy upsets a lot of the young people. And so for them, it's almost like, you know, anything to get rid of these politicians, anything to, um, to, 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 to reduce their capacity to, uh, to, to turn the, uh, the election into a vote buying, uh, uh, spe a specter of, for, of vote buying uh, activities. Um, the, 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 the thing though is that in the process, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the very um, uh, low income group are suffering. Uh, people um, who the market women who who don't have uh, the technology for any form of uh, any form of uh, digital uh, or electronic uh, payment uh, systems are, are not are not are not doing business and they are, they are, they are, the lack of access to cash is affecting quite a, a, a lot of people and this is going to filter into Nigeria's productivity over the uh, over this uh, uh, period. And so our economic growth that already took a dent is going to, you know, be uh, further dented by by this uh, monetary policy fiasco. Uh, so this this is a situation of, uh, you know, um, prisoners' dilemma. It's a catch twenty two. It's uh, it's uh, it, there are no easy answers to this. Um, you know, in a recent uh, interview I did, I said, well, the way that we are now. It, it just means that uh, citizens are going to bear this for five more days, and then we'll see what happens, uh, you know, following after, uh, because uh, the monetary authorities have to get the country back to uh, its uh, economic uh, path. Yes, and one of the challenges that the country is facing is um, insecurity. If we look at all the geopolitical zones in the country, each has its own unique security challenge. How crucial is this issue um, for the elections? It's uh, very crucial. I mean, uh, without without security, it is difficult to get people out to vote, and uh, you know, and uh, there is uh, there is hardly any region of our country now that's not up in one form of uh, insecurity or the other. Um, but you know, I mean, uh, one of the things that uh, I know from my days at the World Bank is uh, that. Uh, you know, even the conflict-ridden environments do manage to hold elections. And so uh, at a certain level, uh, if we can get a very, a very effective collaboration between citizens and the security establishments, as well as uh, if we can get uh, the political parties and their politicians behaving uh, responsibly and uh, 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 keeping away from stoking unnecessary violence amongst uh, the citizens, uh, we would be able to have a peaceful election. Uh, it is entirely possible, yes. Okay, and um, looking at um, the body that obviously oversees the elections, which is INEC, um, in previous elections, uh, we know there have been some questions raised about um, its credibility. This time around, how do you gauge um, INEC's credibility and whether they'll be able to you know, foresee a free, fair and credible election? Well, I think that um, you know logistics and uh, uh, just managing the the the, process, the operational process uh, of elections have always been a problem uh, in the past, uh, even leading up to the twenty nine, even up until up until the twenty nineteen elections. Uh, twenty eleven elections were postponed. Uh, you know, um, some. Even when some polls, some some parts of the country were already voting, suddenly that that election was postponed. 
2015 election was postponed. 2019 election was postponed, you know, and uh, this is 2023. And uh, one of the nervousness amongst the electorate is that they might just wake up to a postponement of the election. And people don't want to see that happen uh, simply because uh, every time that elections are postponed, it deflects uh, the people uh, so badly that some of them just move on and say, I'm not going out again. Um, and that's not good. Um, the, 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 so in getting the uh, logistics as well as the operational uh, plan uh, to, to work, to function uh, uh, top notch this time around, uh, we, we have seen INEC uh, do every form of uh, uh, reaching out to uh, Central Bank, uh, so that uh, they, this, um, this um, uh, what do you call it, our, our, uh, our, our monetary policy around, uh, um, you know, um, cashless uh, uh, policy does not affect its activities, affect its ability to pay uh, the vendors that it requires for the elections. We've seen it reach out to, uh, it's, uh, it's, well, the, the chairman of INEX said he got the assurance of uh, the central bank governor that uh, they would uh, have access to to the monies that they require uh, for their operations. Uh, we all the the the, the matter of uh, movements uh, of uh, election materials. They need a lot of uh, you know relationship uh, between uh, you know between INEC and uh, providers of transportation. We've seen them try to do that. So in the public domain, what we've seen is a lot of frenetic activities on the part of INEC. And so people are closely following all of these. Uh, the, the, the one that is outside of their immediate control is the matter of security that we spoke about earlier. And so if we can uh, keep the country uh, still uh, calm, uh, until election day without any kind of uh, uh, violence uh, breaking out in uh, uh, the, the parts of the countries, uh, parts of the country, that would also be uh, helpful. Uh, so in terms of logistics and uh, our operations, we, we are seeing the, the, the work of INEC. Um, uh, people are not sure about it entirely, but they are prepared to believe. Now, where INEC has gained a lot more credibility is on the fact that uh, the uh, INEC Act amendment that happened um, toward the end of last year was such a moral boost for the electorate, especially the young people. The fact that uh, a provision for um, the electronic transmission of votes uh, was, uh, was uh, passed in that act really buoyed up the confidence of citizens in our electoral process. Even though it suffered a little bit of a dent following uh, the judgments that happened uh, at a lower court recently on, 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 on the uh, concerning the Oshun elections, but people are still holding out that the the use of technology, the uh, the beavers, the, uh, the 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 deployment of the beavers, the fact that uh, the votes uh, will be counted in the in the glare of everyone and uploaded uh, immediately, uh, meaning the electronic transmission as uh, as uh, approved in that act, that is giving people some measure of confidence in. Uh, in INEC, we'll see. The, uh, they, they, they say the taste of the pudding is in the eating. 
So let's wait and see what happens after we all vote on the 25th of February. Okay. And you have mentioned um, concerns about violence possibly, uh, you know, breaking out. But my question to you now is, why is a peaceful election so crucial to the country? And what are the implications to the rest of the continent? I did say early on in my intro that when Nigeria sneezes, the rest of the continent catches a cold. Well, you know, Nigeria and South Africa are the, are the two anchor countries of the continent. Uh, you may not know this, but for every 1% of economic growth in either of the two countries, that is in either Nigeria or in uh, or South Africa or in both of them at any given year, in any given year, it has a half percent growth effect for the rest of the continent. So the, these are two economies that are so important for the continent. And so the democratic processes in each of these two countries should matter to the rest of the continent. We do know that the democratic order is an important order uh, because, uh, you know, democracy is about freedom. And if, uh, you know, that freedom uh, also translates to economic freedom, then you begin to see economic growth. Uh, and we know that one thing in development uh, studies is you, you know, without peace, you cannot get to development. Without economic growth, you cannot ultimately achieve development. And so all of these things are so interconnected that it is vital, it is critical for us to have a peaceful election. Nigeria is too big to fail. Uh, we need to conduct ourselves and show that we've come to a place of democratic maturity, at, at least at the standard of being able to conduct elections. And uh, when there are challenges to our elections to uh, seek redress through the, uh, the courts, although the courts are less, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, they are giving the citizens less less confidence than 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 used to be the case. Uh, but it's still important that uh, we use peaceful means to resolve uh, disagreements in democracy. Okay. And finally, just to take you away from the elections, let's look at one of the institutions you worked for. That's the World Bank. And I want to pick your brain on this one. So the president of the World Bank, he's stepping down on June the 30th. Um, this is a year before the end of his term. What is the likelihood of an African getting this position? What are your thoughts on this? I, I think that, um, you know, we're at a place now, we're at a place in international, in the international development architecture where, you know, uh, a, new, in, a new conversation on, uh, on how that architecture is governed uh, it, it cannot just simply be the usual talk. It has to be action speaking louder than voice. And the right action that would speak louder is to make sure that everyone, especially Africans, especially people other than those who are from Europe and who are from uh, uh, America, are the leaders of the Bretton Woods institution. So I definitely believe that it is time for our continent to make a strong bid for that office of the president of the World Bank. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Obi Ezekweseli, thank you very much. This has been the lead from New Lines magazine. You can find Obi Ezekweseli on Twitter at Obizex. This week's episode was produced by Faisal Al-Yafai and hosted by me, Kwango Diwewe. For more like this, subscribe to The Lead on your favorite podcast app or visit our website, newlinesmag.com. Thanks for joining us.